Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Probably the one that a lot of us are most aware of or the thing that, that a lot of parents will tell me is uh, once I took the phone and all of these electronics away because of whatever consequences, um, you know, after they were gone for a couple of weeks, it's like my child came back. Uh, they say that all the time. And now the, the, the consequence is over and I'm going to have to hand it back to them and I don't want to hand it back to them. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome, everybody, to Paradox. I'm Jimmy Myers. I am Josh Myers. You know, I like to play intro music before every show. Our drum beat, dun, dun, dun. Uh -huh. I like to play it before every show. Yep. And then pause it as soon as we start the show, and Jimbo And it hates freaks me it. out every time. I don't know what to do or say. <laughs> So I have to wait a few seconds to to uh, kind of get my thoughts together. So yes, this is Jimmy and Josh. We are the Paradox. Do you have your thoughts together? I do. Good. So I want to start today with a penis story. I had a lady that came in the office with a 14-year-old son who has a 14-year-old girlfriend. And the girlfriend sent the young man a naked selfie. And the young man reciprocated. You know, since we've started, you said penis and naked selfie. Yeah. There might be children in the car. We, we got to go there. We're, we're dealing with the realities of life, Josh. Mm, okay. We're, we're communicating. <laughs> you got to throw in a vagina, just... That there's nothing like that in this story. Oh, okay. Even though I'm sure it was probably part of the naked selfie. <laughs> <laughs> so the little boy sends, sends it back, right? Well, the girlfriend's name was Molly, and he went down his list of contacts, and he just went one too far and hit mommy. And so he sends a naked selfie. So he reciprocates this photo to mommy. To mommy. Mm. And so the mom gets a picture of her son's genitals. Ouch. How old was he again? 14. And I tell you, and I say this, if, if, if I could present an award to this mother. I would. She was a single mom. And how she handled this was absolutely fantastic. She said, son, you know, uh, Molly and you no longer can see each other. And she says, yes, ma'am. And then she said, and you're no longer going to have a smartphone. Um, there's a lot of young men who are 14 that have smartphones that don't send naked pictures of themselves uh, to people. Uh, you're obviously not one of those boys that can handle it. Therefore, I'm going to remove that, and I'm going to I'm going to provide you with a flip phone until you graduate high school. She didn't uh, shame him, but she really like hitting between the eyes with a fairly severe, you know, a flip phone is just horrific these days. So she did a masterful job, but that just shows you the the impact of not just social media but electronics and electronic contact within the older children and teen population. And specifically unrestrained, Yes, right? Like unregulated yes. social media and electronics. Yeah, I several years ago saw a 10-year-old child. He was the cutest kid you would ever see. 
um, adorable, innocent. It was, uh, yeah, it was a joy working with him, but it was a also a sad experience because he, the reason he was coming in was suicidal ideation. He had thoughts of killing himself. And it's, it's interesting. You would, you would kind of initially think why in the world would this kid's got 70 more years on this planet? Why would he ever think about ending it? Right? Like what experiences can one have in our first 10 years that would cause that. And it was social media related. Uh, Cute kid. He was still into Legos. He had Lego Mm -hmm. videos online. Mm -hmm. And just talk about some awful content that that is allowed to be reviewed uh, or allowed on YouTube when you review other videos. You just have a grown adult men trolling anyone and everyone. and this Just ten-year-old boy, apart. yep, this ten-year-old boy happened to to get ripped apart, um, and he subsequently um, thought thought about uh, thought that living was not worth it any longer. Um, so that unrestrained social media access, unregulated electronic access, uh, these can be very very dangerous for our child. Um, today we're going to be talking specifically about social media enmeshment, you know, to constant contact. Um, and I would say, you know, this is for older kids because Facebook usage starts well down into elementary school. Um, so this is for, for a lot of folks that are out there. And if you have younger children, uh, they're going to be here uh, in no time. Uh, and just out of, um, you know, full disclosure, a lot of what we're talking about today comes out of a chapter of the, the book that I'm working on with George Barna that we now have a title, and it's called Fearless Parenting, Raising Spiritual Kids in a Secular Culture, Fateful Kids in a Secular Culture. Set to come out spring of 17? Uh, July. Well, yeah. The, the transcript is due today, July 1st. Okay. Uh, and then it's one calendar year, so it'll be July of next year. So we're start talking about social media today, and there's several things, three or four things that caused this to be quite a bit of a problem. The first one being the falsification of relationships. Um, That there's, well, kind of the phrase for it is online friendship falsification, where these kids believe that their 2,000 Facebook friends are their friends. And they believe that their 1,000 Instagram followers are their bosom buddies, or the people that they're in the raiding clan on World of Warcraft uh, are their close personal friends. And yes, they do have a relationship with these people, um, but it is... Minimal, to say the least. Minimal. Yeah, it's it's not to, to be what we consider, you know, a, a, a really fleshed out, multi-level relationship that you would have with someone in person. Now, it could become that... Uh, if they were getting together on Skype, you know, and, and telephones and, and yeah, all these. Correct. One thing to note, I, I deal with parents all the time, and the assumption is in an older generation, the assumption is just because they're online, they cannot be friendships. And that's that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, we had years ago pen pals, right? Just because they live in a different city doesn't necessarily mean they can't be friends. Um, you know, you can be really close friends with a few people that you Skype with right. and you actually share intimately with. Um, and so it's possible, but the 2000 fans right. on World of Warcraft is, is not that it's, case. It's not that. Uh, in fact, I used an example, one, a client, she was, she was 13 and she listed as, uh, one of her friends, um, uh, another young girl, another 13 year old girl. 
And it turns out um, that this 13-year-old girl was a 50-year-old pedophile. And this girl thought that this other girl was her friend. Uh, and it turns out not only was she not a friend, she was not 13 and she was not female. It's not good. Uh, which tells you, you know, the kind of the depth that some of these uh, relationships can be. And there's this, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but also with the falsification of friendship is this compulsive need to be liked. Uh, to it, it gives them great status to say, I have 2,000 friends. Status to say, I've got 3,000 Instagram followers. Wait a second, Jimbo. I'm just, I'm checking our social media page, see how many likes we got. How many we got? Ooh, 42. <laughs> We are slapping people down. Very nice. The second thing is the falsification of communication. Um, so 90% of communication is nonverbal. Uh, and when we're looking at online activity, whether it's through a phone or a computer, most of the, that most of the time that is done through some sort of headset and it's 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 specifically the verbal content. And so our children, more than anything, are, are really not learning how to pick up on social cues, facial expression, body language. They're really not learning how to effectively communicate at all uh, if too much time is spent online. Uh, and so, while, again, while their friendships can be real, we absolutely need to regulate it. Uh, and require them to be able to, or require them to meet up and befriend people that are in their same town so you, that they yeah. can work on the 90%. Exactly. Because if you think about it, 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's in facial expressions and tone. And uh, therefore, what we're communicating online, be it text messaging, you know, or whatever, is, um, is only 10%. So, you know, yeah, what's missing 90% of what is being communicated. So you wonder why people's, oh, my feelings are hurt, or, oh, I really misunderstood where this relationship is going. It's because you're only communicating with 10%. Uh, another aspect or a danger of this enmeshment is what's called a, a falsification of awareness, or you may have even seen this, the ICYMI. A lot of you already want to know what that is, in case you no missed it. No one knows what that is. Of they do. Millennials, listen to this. I have degrees in this. What is the ICM in my my in If you saw ICYMI, in case you missed it. Oh, Lord, yeah, I don't do text language. I know. But this is the falsification of awareness. I, I, I'm, I have a compulsive need to be aware of everything that's going on. I, I use an example of a, a girl. She's probably, I don't know, 15 or 16 in my office, and she couldn't, wouldn't put down her phone and she thinks no one notices. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting like three feet away, staring at her face and yet she will look down, she'll read something, smile, and then look back up like I didn't notice. Uh, and then she looks down, doesn't look back up and you can see that she is typing something in with her hand. It's impressive. And, um, and then she kind of chuckles to herself and then she looks up and like notices that I'm in the room and she goes, oh, sorry, my bad. Uh, but my friend was about to buy this really horrible outfit at Nordstrom's and I just had to save her. She, she literally, now, now this was a paid counseling session and she had to tell her friend that the blouse she held up and took a picture of, she had to comment on it right then. 
So this compulsive need to be constantly aware of what's going on It's really become us. a security blanket. Oh, you absolutely. see people um, out and about, and if they don't have anybody to specifically talk to, let's say they're with folks and they run to the restroom, immediately one grabs their phone. We, we have a hard time. Uh, I think it was Louis C.K. that uh, was some talk show um, that was talking about his kids and social media. Um, but he was like, we're having a hard time just sitting and being human. Like, mm-hmm. we can't just sit with ourselves any yes, longer. and be human. Which is crazy. Probably the one that a lot of us are most aware of, or the thing that, that a lot of parents will tell me is, uh, once I took the phone and all of these electronics away because of whatever consequences, um, you know, after they were gone for a couple of weeks, it's like my child came back. Uh, they say that all the time. And now the, the, the consequence is over and I'm going to have to hand it back to them. And I don't want to hand it back to them. Yep. Because it's like the child that I always knew returned to me. Uh, well, it's the thing called, and, this, and go with me on this, but it's called the online disinhibition effect. And that is that our children literally do, and not just children, I guess older people would do it as well, but we literally become someone else. We will say things that we would not normally say. We'll do things. This is where the trolling comes in, where we just pick fights with people. Uh, oftentimes, a parent will get a hold of their child's social media, and they're appalled at the language, uh, at the photographs that are being shared. Now, this kid is is president of his Sunday school class and the lead singer in the church choir, and you would think that he's a member of the Hell's Angels if you looked at his Facebook page. And it's this this online disinhibition effect. Uh, and a couple of things that, you know, kids believe that they have anonymity, that no one really knows who they are, uh, and they want to project a persona. You can almost become anybody or anything that you want to online. So, And I, I see a lot of kids also, not only the an- anonymity, but you don't see facial expressions. If I sit here and ru- I'm in the same room with you, Jimbo, and I say, you're ugly. I can read your face laughing at me or whatever it's doing right now. Anyway, uh, I can read your face and I can understand that this isn't a pleasant thing to say to someone if they're they crying didn't get it, or they or didn't get it or whatever, right? So, yeah. so not only the 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 um, anonymity online, but the, the inability to read somebody's face, see the social interaction. I can say whatever with zero consequences, mm-hmm. but in real life, I have consequences. Exactly. So it, they really are struggling to figure this out properly. Well, we even say that in here that you know you and I both, but I have a very dry sense of humor, and there have been times we've interviewed people sometimes very important people. And I'll make some comment and you'll have to step in and go, excuse me, he's kidding. Because you can tell they did not take it the way it was intended because they can't see me. They can't see that I'm, I'm making a joke. So uh, it, it causes huge relational problems, especially within an adolescent Relational population. problems, communication problems, as well as just awareness problems. So how do we solve this? The first thing is we encourage a family Sabbath rest. And during this rest, it's, it's really no personalized electronics. Um, it's not spending your day in your room by yourself. It's, it's, we're clearing everything out. 
um, and we're spending time with each other and we're not allowing uh, the screens to get in the way of life. Um, and so a, a periodic family Sabbath rest is, is really, really important. Doesn't necessarily have to be weekly, but certainly you're looking at a couple of times a month attempting a family Sabbath rest. And I, I think sometimes uh, a lot of times when churches will, will preach on fasting, it's like, well, Lord knows we're not talking about food exclusively, so do another kind of a fast. And so many people will give up Facebook or something. But a, but a Sabbath is a regular, intentional break. So it's not just a once a year, I'm going to white knuckle it for two weeks. It's I'm intentionally, my family is intentionally going to unplug and simply be humans around each other on a regular, consistent basis. Also... Um, uh, in the chapter that we're referring to from the book, uh, there's, I suggest 10 new electronic, uh, commandments, but basically electronic guidelines that, that we really as parents need to sit down and address this. There's so many problems that can occur. My Lord, I, I, I think probably half the kids we work with in some capacity, something online is involved with what's the, what the problem is. So the first thing that we say about these uh, electronic guidelines is that the parents have got to set the standard. Uh, there can be no change in the electronics in the home unless the parents set that standard. Um, so mom and dad get off the phone. You know, mom and dad don't be worrying all the time that you've missed something. So you've got to grab it as soon as... Um, as soon as it's possible. So parents, if you want, if you want your children to not be so myopically focused on electronics, you have to not be focused on it. Number two, regulation, not prohibition. So ultimately, social media, electronics in and of themselves are not evil. They're benign. Um, so it's, it's not about the complete removal. In fact, our world is heading towards more electronics yeah. and social media, not away from it. So it's not that we don't want them on it, learning how to yes. interact in this way, because that's going to be needed in employment one Absolutely. day. So it's about regulation, not prohibition. Number three. Our children are not given smartphones until the age of 16. Say what? <laughs> I know. Um, but just like my little 14-year-old friend, who was just the cutest kid, um, everything we want our child to have a phone for, that we can call them, they can call us, we can text them, they can text us, can be handled in a dumb phone, in the dumb part of the phone. What they get in trouble for is always in the smart part of the phone. And who keeps giving them the smartphones? We do. We hand a 13-year-old child this technology that they can carry in their pocket and they can take a video or a picture of anything and instantly, via something like Periscope, broadcast it around the globe. And then we as parents are shocked with what they do with that technology. We hand it to them and then we get mad at what they do with it. I see. Again, it's been said, this is not a smartphone problem. This is a dumb parent problem. We've got to withhold that technology that they are not old enough to handle. Uh, they're going to be just fine if they can't access ESPN when they're in the fifth grade. They're going to be okay. And so we provide them smartphones when they're younger. And I guess if we can trust them with a car, then we can trust them with a smartphone. So 16 is not a bad age. 
Also, parents own the devices, and that needs to be clear. Uh, verbally written in a contract on a piece of paper, if you can find stone, write it in that. Your children need to know that you own the devices. Um, and that's it's imperative. They're going to take ownership of it. Um, that's why it probably needs to be said time and time again. Uh, but it's important that the child knows that you own the contract to the cell phone carrier. You own the device in and of itself. So whenever that needs to be taken back, it's perfectly within your purview to be able to do that. Um, and so it needs to be clear that parents own the devices. Number five, no passwords on any device and 24/7 parental access to the devices again cuz they're your you're the parent you're it's their it's your device it's your device and we're not saying voyeuristically look in on everything that's going on with Correct. your child's media and i would also add this um we then gossip about our kids. We go to the uh, a prayer rally, mm-hmm. or we go to you know our Mother's Day out. You programs. go to a prayer rally. How many rallies for prayer have you been to lately? I, I kind of into a prayer rally. Mentally warped back to about a hundred years ago. Okay. Did they have prayer rallies back then? Probably. <laughs> Uh, but we go to our Bible studies and we ask for prayer, and it's really gossiping our children's memories and stories. It's really <laughs> gossiping about their life, and yeah. they're very offended by that. Yeah. So just getting control in their apps and the passwords doesn't give you the right then to share their story. Yeah, and just be a voyeur. Number six is parents control the apps. And I'm not sure parents even know you can do this, but we'll find that our kids downloaded some app that's bad. And we'll go, oh, uh, then uh, we're going to take it off your phone. There, have that. And then boom. Oh, but they download it again. Well, you can control the apps. You can, go, you can wipe the phone clean. And then through the parental controls with your carrier, you have to sign off on every app that's downloaded. So you can absolutely remove so many of the dangerous things uh, that your kids get into by controlling the apps. And one thing I'd throw out real quickly, there's a website, iParent.tv, put out by triplexchurch.com. They do a fantastic job in letting parents know what apps are good, what apps are bad, and why they're bad. The next one, uh, you should have an end time every evening, whether it's 8, 7, 8, 9, 10, however old your kids are. At some point, it's all devices are off. They're plugged in at the kitchen table. They remain there overnight. You should have an end time to, to, to electronics every night. Number nine, excuse me, number eight is all Internet access devices must have blocking software. I'm even... Beside myself, that in 2016, we still have to say that. I am agog. Look at me. I use the word agog in a sentence. (laughs) You are going to Google that and be so impressed. We are so upset. Um, You know, when, when I see that parents still allow their kids to have just laptops and iPads with absolutely no blocking software at all. Uh, so if it if it can access the internet, it has blocking software. Uh, need to limit limit video games. I mean, this kind of goes without saying, but that's the the, the next one. Um, just since we're limiting everything else, video games specifically need some sort of limited time frame. The child does not need to be four hours uh, in the evening, six hours on a Saturday playing video games. 
Um, so just not healthy. Uh, just for being kind of well-rounded. And number 10, parents should be actively involved uh, in the games that are purchased. Uh, a kid told me the other day, he says, you can look at most of these video games now like they're R-rated movies that you're just going to have. You're going to have your warrior walk into some bar someplace and girls will just take their shirts off. Wow. Just like an R-rated movie. You know, it may not have gratuitous sex, but there's going to be a lot of blood and you're just going to see, you know, some girls with their shirt off. And I said, really? I did not know that. Uh, and what, then he, what was this game again? <laughs> how do you spell that? Uh, and then he told me about, and I'm real quickly, because I know we're, we're running out of time, we're going long, but uh, he told me about um, AO games, because I didn't rate an M for Mature, or like Call of Duty or any of these things. And that's kind of what, when he said R-rated movies, I was going, that's the Mature. But he said there are adult-only AO games. And I said, well, well, what is that? And because I never, I didn't, never heard of that. He took me over to the, to my desk, to um, YouTube, and he punched up uh, like a trailer for a movie, but it was a trailer for a video game. Same high quality um, uh, computer graphics as any of the, any of the other games. But it was called something, it's, it's not this, but it's something like Hatred is the name of the game. And it shows this guy in a black, long duster coat with scraggly, long black hair. And he's loading a shotgun and he's putting hand grenades in his pockets. And the, the, this most sinister voice you've ever heard says, I hate every worm on this planet. And today, they die. And he leaves the house. And the game is you are a mass, mass murderer. murderer. Wow. And as he should, I was, I could not believe it. Uh, a lady's running from him and trips and falls. And so this guy picks her up by her hair, puts a handgun to her temple and just blows the side of her. And of course, in this game, brain matter and blood are just Correct. dripping down the wall. I couldn't believe it. And these are what and, our kids are playing. And I thought, good Lord, some of the, my clients that I've had in the past, I was going, if they ever got their hands on mm -hmm. this... Uh, so there are things that I just wasn't thinking video games in this way. And talk about the sanctity of life. Oh, you know, my it, Lord. It, it starts to and be questioned. Desensitizing. It starts to be questioned at that point. Yeah. So uh, we just need to be more involved when we think. I said, well, good Lord, how do you even get that? He says, well, you got to be 18. But there's um, uh, Steam, which is a website where you download a bunch of these type games. Uh, I mean, every kid's probably got a Steam account. And uh, I said, on Steam, how old are you? 24. <laughs> so it, any kid, Correct. a 10-year-old could get this game. So parents, be involved in your kid's video game purchases. Yeah, and, and, and really kind of set these guidelines that we have put forth. Um, it's critically important that not only do we take a Sabbath rest from all these electronics as a family, but that we have family guidelines for, uh, for our proactive. children. You got to um, think about it. And so these eight, nine, ten-ish that we put forth, uh, definitely institute them within your family as well. Um, guys, thank you for joining us today. If you want more information about the show, ParadoxPodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at DocsPodcast. Those three platforms for myself are Doc Josh Myers. I'm not nearly as coordinated. 
for Facebook, I'm Dr. Jimmy Myers. And on Twitter and Instagram, it is J Myers Fam. Thanks for joining Paradox today, guys. Guys, have a good one. And we will see you Friday uh, for another interview. Bye. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. We program discipleship, we program evangelism, we program all these different things, and we're hoping for a certain result. And over the last handful of years, the one thing I've noticed is that when we are kind of pressing into the different areas of faith that we can work on, that the actual, the result is a natural fruit of pursuing the kingdom.